Well, good morning. Welcome back to the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeff Snyder. This is BRN Weekly for Saturday, February 18th, 2023. And our top story today, Secure Saturday, rolling over 529 assets to a Roth IRA. And joining me now to discuss this and a lot more, Mary Morris is with Virginia 529. Mary, it's great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us on the program this morning. Thanks, Jeff. It's good to see you again. Always nice to be with you. It's always a pleasure. And there's so much going on in the Commonwealth. Uh, Mary, I want to get your reaction to the secure passage of secure in December. And what really intrigues you or what 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 moves you in terms of the legislation, particularly as it might relate to 529 and retirement? Thanks. Yeah. Well, there are two things. And what's interesting for us is we've done 529 savings for almost 30 years. Been doing disability savings now for about six, and we're just getting ready, as, as you alluded to, to launch uh, one of the, the the next of these state facilitated private retirement programs. So we're getting into that world more, and Secure ties our five two nine and our retirement missions together a bit um, because it provides an opportunity for folks uh, with some restrictions to take any money that may be left stranded or uh, remaining in a five two nine account and putting it into a Roth IRA which happens to be the default option that we'll be offering in our new retirement program so it all kind of comes together for us in Virginia yeah and and is do people often leave um monies behind if they've paid for college do, do monies remain in in their 529 account typically it, it can happen and you know there are a lot of things we always we think that 529s are very flexible you can save for a very long time you can keep it uh you know for one beneficiary you can change beneficiaries so you know even to another to another child a sibling um to a grandchild you can bring it back for yourself so you have opportunities to use a 529 account regardless. But there are some people, you only have one child. Uh, they don't go to school. They get a scholarship. Uh, you know, they go to a less expensive school than you'd anticipated, or you didn't save everything you needed, but, but you made a combination of things. You may have paid down some, they may have gotten some student um, grants or, you know, student funding worked, done whatever. You may end up with some money left over. And I think it's more of a fear on the early end that parents go, what if I fund this 529 account and then I'm stuck with it and I'm going to have a bad consequence. So I don't know that it happens too often, but it is something that gets in people's heads and keeps them from saving. So knowing that you have another option and that at the end of the day, if you've saved and have money left in your 529 account, you can move it into a Roth IRA and not have any adverse tax consequences, in fact, have even better tax advantages. Uh, that's pretty powerful. So I think yeah. it's a really great tool. And again, it ties together the two things that we know are the primary concerns of most families in America. How do I save for retirement? And how do I save mostly for my child's or for my own education? And so yeah. it, it ties those two together. Yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Mary. I, I wanted to uh, ask, I mean, when you take a step back and you're fortunate that you are both in the retirement industry, but you're also in the 529 industry. How important is it that lawmakers, when they created this bill, kind of look at these things together or holistically? And you could probably add things like healthcare and maybe buying a home. I mean, there are so many things that you go through during your life and your financial life 
it, you know, taking a step back, how, how does that make you feel in terms of the way Congress approached this particular bill? Yeah, I think it's great. Uh, you know, we, we've had advocated for this for a while, some some form, some opportunity to move money into a retirement account and, and to look at them that way, you know, because there've always been some opportunities to use a Roth IRA for education expenses. You know, people hear about that a lot and, and that can that can work for some families. There's some restrictions on that and, and some reasons that you may or may not want to do it. So to have it work both ways, I think makes great sense. Uh, and again, with with this option with a 529, what I like about it is uh, it is primarily, it, it's based on the beneficiary. So we're still getting some of the rules around it. Pretty sure that, you know, for example, if you, if you had money left in a 529 account, you have to leave it in for 15 years. The last five years, were, you, know, you can't have any earnings from the last five years. So there are there's some restrictions on it to, to prevent people from gaming the system, quite honestly. Uh, but assuming that you have that, you could change the beneficiary and, and, and then put it into your own uh, IRA if you haven't maybe funded as much as you wanted to because you're funding your kid's education. But what I really love is that it gives that ability to jumpstart a young person's retirement savings. So you know, let's say they finish with college, you've got 10,000, 15,000, 5,000 even dollars left in that 529 account. If you can move that into a Roth IRA for your child who may or may not be saving, they may or may not be maximizing their retirement savings when they first start in their first job, you've given them a little bit of a jump start that's just going to sit there for maybe 40 years. Uh, I was reading an article about this, and uh, I'm, I'm not sure I should probably not, not claim it. It's not my, my thought, but calling it a baby Roth. You know, it's like this ability to really start saving for retirement uh, well into the future and get some of those advantages because you could put a small amount into your 529, even thinking that long-term down the road, if I have some left over, I can leverage it and really maximize the earning potential and then move it into a Roth IRA for my child and, and get them on that path towards security well into the future. So it's, a, yeah. Yeah. it's for people I like with really long-term plans, but long-term planning is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, that, ultimately that's what we want. We want to be able to tie these things together and you shouldn't think about it when you're at retirement or you shouldn't think about it when you're leaving, right when you're leaving college, you should be thinking about it maybe in advance. Well, Mary, we're going to have to leave it there. Very exciting times for Virginia 529 and the Virginia retirement system. We really appreciate you joining us this morning on Secure Saturday, and we look forward to having you back on the program again very soon. Thanks, Jeff. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Mary. Great to see you. Thanks for sharing your perspective. And when we come back, we'll take a look back at some of our best segments of the week. You're going to want to stay tuned right here on BRN Weekly. Imagine a new television network that will make you richer, healthier, and in control of your financial future. This network is for the policewoman in Nashville, Tennessee, the baker in Dubuque, Iowa, the teacher in Lexington, Kentucky. We want to make the idea of savings and retirement culturally relevant. But what do you see as a defining issue of the midterms? 
especially for the smaller businesses. I mean, they are the lifeblood of the American economy. Featuring exclusive interviews, current affairs, and docu-series. 33 yeah. years old, you retired early. The philosophy is money only matters if it helps you live a life that you love. But you gotta start thinking about retirement as soon as you get in. The Broadcast Retirement Network will drive very high engagement with premium partnerships. So this isn't retirement and savings for your parents or grandparents. This is for all Americans. And we're gonna change the way you think about money. Welcome to the next frontier of retirement and savings. This is BRN, the Broadcast Retirement Network. I'm Jeffrey Snyder, and this is your Broadcast Retirement Network Retirement Update. Last year's market volatility forced retirement investors to shift their asset allocations from equities and bonds to stable value funds. I spoke to one expert about this. A lot of times when there are headlines, when people are opening up their newspaper or just the nightly news and seeing such negative returns, then that's something that makes them act. And so we were seeing withdrawals um, from equity and a lot of deposits into stable value, especially early in the year. As the Fed started that liftoff, that's when we were seeing a lot of positive flows from participants. As a long-term investor, it's always important to put your emotions aside as you consider your long-term investments. With the Broadcast Retirement Network, I'm Jeffrey Snyder with your BRN Retirement Update. Are you stuck with a low credit score? A credit report and score that's causing you to be denied credit or pay higher interest rates than others for the same things? Then do what Terrence did and called Credit Repaired for your free credit evaluation to help restore your credit. I started thinking about buying a new house and my score wasn't where I needed it to be. I called and spoke with one of the representatives and we just had a good conversation and I, I liked what he was saying. Just one call for his free credit evaluation was all it took to start back on the track to repairing his credit. I'm seeing the deletions and I'm getting the report, so I know something's being done. It does make a difference to me. All it takes is one call to get started. Credit Repair has given me a second chance to have a better credit score. Don't let a low credit score hold you back another day. Do what Terrence did and make the call for your free credit evaluation. Call 800-819-4152. That's 800-819-4152. Again, 800-819-4152. Welcome back. This week, we discussed how the Department of Labor is tackling the project of improving participant communication messaging. Let's take a look. Well, um, in terms of relying on the Congressional Review Act, which is the, the method that Republicans on the Hill are using to, uh, to take a close look, another look, a review, if you will, of this rule, there's definitely a chance that Congress could uh, <clears throat> pass legislation that would block the rule from taking effect. That said, um, Congressional Review Act legislation requires a presidential authorization, a presidential signature like any other bill. And because this is a, a project of the Biden administration, we, we would expect that that would be the first veto that President Biden issues um, if Congress, of course, were to do that. 
Um, but this really all harkens back to, you know, whether you're pro or anti-ESG. And um, ESG is kind of a confusing initialism, initialism in the first place. And the reason for that is because I think a lot of laymen uh, look at ESG and, and, and to be honest, I, I did for a while myself. They, they think of it as a type of investment, um, but it's not necessarily a type of investment as much as it's a way of thinking about an, a, a particular investment. ESG, as you know, of course, stands for environmental, social, and governance. And, and, and essentially, these are um, you know, ways to look at for example, the performance of a company. I, I always try to harken back to, for example, an, an oil company. If you're looking at, at investing in a particular oil company and for whatever reason you find out that that oil company is uh, inadvertently or intentionally dumping oil into the Gulf of Mexico or into some body of water, that could be a problem both environmentally and because it, it could expose them to some regulatory controls by uh, regulators like the EPA. That's going to affect the bottom line of that company. And of course, that's going to affect the bottom line of the um, of the investments related to the company. And so um, but at the end of the day, that is technically considering ESG factors. And so what the Department of Labor did um, first in the Trump administration is try to pull back on these controls. And, and I think what they were trying to do is, is make sure that fiduciaries are considering financial interests first when, uh, when, when, when they're considering investments. And of course, that's required under the law anyway. The Employee Retirement Income Security Act of 1974 requires that fiduciaries for employer-sponsored employer plans do consider the financial interest, the best financial interest of plan participants first. What the, what the Biden administration has since done is, is roll that, that Trump administration roll back and, and come back to say that ESG considerations can be financial considerations. Um, of course, what we're seeing now is uh, Republicans say, well, hold on, we want to make sure that the investments that, you know, hundreds of millions of Americans rely on for retirement are safe from extra financial interests. Um, the kinds of interests like bettering the environment or, you know, woke politics, if you will. Um, they're, they're trying to make sure that at the end of the day, retirement plans are free from politics and that are focusing only on improving uh, the, the, the bottom line and the account balances of, of Americans. There's, there's two worlds of ESG right now. There's the ESG world, political, pol politically speaking, and then there's the real world of ESG. And, and the real world of ESG is that major... Uh, financial managers on Wall Street, whether it's BlackRock or any others, Fidelity, State Street, they have uh, integrated ESG considerations into their investment decision-making processes. They, they did that decades ago. Most financial managers, most savvy financial managers are thinking about the environmental considerations. They're thinking about the, the way that a company um, stacks its board, whether or not it, it makes diverse hiring decisions. They've been thinking about these kinds of considerations for years because I think that there's been an understanding on Wall Street that of course these are financial factors. In the 21st century, in a world where um, you know, I think a, a lot of Americans are waking up to the realities of the way that companies have been run um, and they've made their voices hurt, hurt both in the 
on the streets and in the polling boxes and in in other ways. I think companies have have taken a step back and they've they've realized, wait a second, this can affect a, a particular investment's bottom line. And 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 as a result, they've been making these decisions. And so I think for most Americans who have a, a, a lineup of investments in a 401k or who put most of the investment decision-making process in the hands of a fiduciary or a financial advisor in a plan in a defined benefit plan, I think by and large, the investment managers who are making decisions for those 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 large um, you know index funds or mutual funds that you have exposure to in the market, they they're already integrating ESG considerations, and there's no there there's absolutely no indication that they're going to stop anytime soon. Then there's the political side of ESG, where politics plays a much larger role in in, in the investment making process. And of course, I'm thinking of public pension plans here. In that in that side of the investment world. Um, you know, of course, I think primarily Republicans, but lawmakers in general at the state level have been tr- have they've been eyeing companies like BlackRock and saying, "Look, you are you're 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 integrating, you're going to, too far ESG wise, and so we're going to pull back. We're not going to allow ESG decision making process processes to integrate into public pension plans." And we've been seeing this in dozens of states around the country. Now, I think many of those same lawmakers who recently regained control of Congress are saying, okay, we're going to make sure that private sector pension plans that, of course, are already ESG integrated in many ways are, are, are going to you know, get, get the same protections that we've been trying to do at the state level. But it's important to note here that at the end of the day, ERISA covers only private sector plans, not public pension plans. And that for most Americans, the investment decision-making processes are not regulated by the Labor Department, by the IRS, or not even controlled by Congress. These are Wall Street decisions. They've always been Wall Street decisions, and ESG has pretty much already won out on Wall Street. The SEC is working on this, and we expect them to propose more rules in that line. At the end of the day, what they're trying to do is create a baseline. Um, as I already said, ESG is a confusing topic, and for many people, they don't know what you mean when you say ESG. You could be, for example, describing a particular investment, an investment class, or a way of thinking about investments. And so um, the SEC has proposed some rules that both aim to prevent companies from using the right language to seem like they're ESG friendly, as you noted, greenwashing, but they've also tried to create a standardized language for what ESG investments are. Data is the is the part of that, as you as you noted, uh, that that's really lacking. We need to create a system by which we can compare investments, so we know what we're talking about when we're comparing how green or how finance environmentally friendly one company might be as compared to another. Um, Europe has has solved this in many ways. Um, And that's because to a large degree, ESG is not really a political consideration uh, for our European friends across the Atlantic. Um, This is only a financial factor. And so I think, you know, at the end of the day, ESG, as I noted, probably has already won out on Wall Street. But we need to get through the politics of this first, and then we're going we're, we're going to allow the regulators to 
to set the ground rules for, for what ESG investing is going to look out look like for decades to come. And we also discussed food prices. Prices keep going up. And is there an end in sight? Let's take a look. Yeah. So, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a livestock economist by trade. So my work is all in livestock and meat and dairy. So I, I spend a little more time in that area. But, you know, really across all the food we buy, prices are higher. And we all go to the grocery store. It's something we all notice very quickly. Uh, probably the only thing we notice quicker is the gas station, <laughs> quite honestly, because they put the big price up on the sign. But we certainly have higher prices. And, and I think there's several reasons we can consider for that. One is just simply higher costs, whether it's wage rates, fuel costs, the, the cost of getting uh, food from where it's produced to where we consume it. You know, a lot of those costs of production are higher. Uh, and, and eventually those are passed on to all of us. Uh, I think a more fundamental thing on the agriculture part is we are talking about producing food. And, you know, farmers and ranchers have been subject to the weather since farming and ranching began, you know, at the, at the beginning of time, you know. And, and so things like drought leads to, uh, you know, reduced production and higher prices. And, and so we've certainly had drought in the U.S. Uh, in various parts of the country. We've had drought that has contributed to ranchers selling off their herds reduce, because you just can't afford to uh, uh, keep those animals. And, and so that leads to, on the beef side, a lot more beef produced because folks are selling off their herds. But longer term, it means a lot less beef produced. And we're right on the cusp of going to less production. And so, you know, we have these, these things like drought, floods, uh, animal diseases that pop up, like avian influenza on our chicken and egg production and turkey production that lead to higher prices. Anybody that does any kind of baking knows you use eggs. And so when we go to the store and buy baked goods or, or processed <clears throat> food items, Oftentimes they have eggs in them. And so it's not just the table eggs, it's eggs that go into making so many other food items. And so there's that hidden price inflation that we see or higher costs at the grocery store because the fundamental ingredients are higher priced. You know, I think some of the things we always do, whether it's coupons or, or looking for specials or shifting from between brands, you go to the store, you got house brands, you got the name brands. Uh, oftentimes those are different prices. And, and so there's some things like that we can do. I think obviously one of the things as an economist, you know, that what people do when reacting to higher prices is we buy less. And, and so that's part of it is, is thinking through meals, impulse buys, what we do, and, and we buy less. In fact, on eggs, I think it's pretty interesting. The latest uh, uh, CPI data came out uh, just the other day. Uh, eggs hit a new record of $4.82 a dozen. Wow. Uh, that's an average retail price. Again, that report looks backwards. So it was in January. Um, I sort of expected prices to go up for eggs because, you know, earlier than that, December and early January, we actually had wholesale prices that were higher than the retail price. And wholesale represents kind of the spot market, those who have to jump in and buy. Yet really since that time, we've seen some really declining wholesale prices. So I think there, are, there is some relief in the future on, on eggs, just as, you know, economically, 
high prices are a signal. And it's a signal to us consumers that, you know, maybe we're going to buy less or substitute something, but it's also a signal to producers to try to produce more. And in agriculture, you know, it's, it's biology and it takes time. And so we're still in this time to try to respond. And so, uh, you know, that's not much comforting words, but, but it's, it's sort of That's how it. our market system works. And that wraps up this episode of BRN Weekly. Have a topic of interest, someone you think we should talk to, drop us a line. And don't forget, for all the latest curated news and lifestyle, wellness, finance, tech, so much more, all in one place, check out today's edition of our daily newsletter, The Morning Pulse. Want to search our archives, check out our latest content, we'll visit our website and, of course, all of our streaming partners. We're back again tomorrow for another edition of BRN Sunday. I'll be joined by members of the media, academia, financial services, and government as we analyze all the news and events for the week. Until then, I'm Jeff Snyder. Stay safe, keep on saving, and don't forget, roll with the changes. Now is your opportunity to co-create content around any topic on the first lifestyle and wellness network. Reach a global audience through our platform and co-own exclusive branded content. All of our programs are available on demand and also as audio-only podcasts so you can take us on the go. Broadcast Retirement Network, available anytime, anywhere, and on any device. Tax audits, tax liens, wage garnishments. Every day we hear stories like this about good folks who are simply struggling to pay their bills. Each of them are living a frightening IRS tax nightmare, and they are afraid it will destroy their lives. I'm a divorced single mom, and my ex-husband left me and the kids with a lot of unpaid bills, including unpaid taxes. I was really starting to show my stress on my kids because the IRS had sent me a letter demanding a huge payment from me. I couldn't afford it. So then the IRS was threatening to garnish my wages. I'm already living paycheck to paycheck. That would have put me over the edge financially. It truly seemed hopeless, but then a friend at work told her to call the tax relief line. The people at the tax relief line, they told me about something called innocent spouse relief. They worked it out so that all of the taxes from my ex are not my problem. I don't know how that works and, and I don't care. All I care about is that I don't owe the IRS a dime and they are not going to take my paycheck. Even if it seems hopeless, you should call the number on your screen right now. There is absolutely no cost for the call or the consultation. You are under no obligation. If you are worried that the IRS could garnish your wages, seize your assets, even take your home, call us right now. The tax relief line is here to help you. Now you have a knowledgeable, professional team of tax experts that are ready to negotiate with the IRS and fight for you to save you money. The Tax Relief Line's professionals have successfully negotiated thousands of cases, reducing and sometimes even eliminating the tax debt for their clients. It's very easy to get started. Simply call the number on your screen right now. You don't have to live in fear anymore. The call and the consultation are free.